this week on Hope for the Broken. When it comes to parenting, we have this tendency to look at it as if it's some kind of formula. The problem with that is that there are times when we follow those plans, we still don't arrive at the desired results. But here's what we do. We work within the guidelines that God has given us in such a way that we trust the Lord with the rest of it. We desire to operate within a biblical framework so that we can see God show up and show off in the life of our kids. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part five titled, Raising Godly Kids. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. And uh, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today as we are continuing in our teaching series called A Biblical Family in a Modern World. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at marriage and family the way God designed it. It is our desire to be a people that model our lives and our homes after God's design for them. Uh, The Bible is full of instructions for husbands and wives and children and parents. And, uh, and so a lot of times we, we kind of find ourselves off track. You know, there's nothing more humbling than preaching through a series like this, because each week I seem to be reminded of my own failures and my own flaws. And, uh, and so, uh, but I'm also encouraged uh, to, to be that and to play the role in which God is asking us to play. And so today, uh, we're coming to looking at how to raise godly kids, raising godly children. And let me just say from the onset here, if you have any influence over children, whether that's a teacher, a parent, or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, what, whatever, if you have any influence over children, you play a significant role and helping shape and mold kids. And, you know, we've heard it said that it takes a village to raise a child. And oftentimes it takes the right village to raise a child. And so uh, you may be at a stage in your life where you say, well, I don't have kids in the home. This message is for you because you may have influence over, over children. Or you may say, well, we don't have kids yet. Well, this message is for you uh, because as you get ready to potentially have children in your home, that, uh, that you need to lay a strong foundation for raising godly kids. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy doing from time to time is, is looking up recipes and, and making them for, for dinner. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for chicken recipes, and uh, and I came across a mozzarella stuffed chicken parmesan recipe, and I'm like, dude, that that sounds really really good, and and man, so I, I got gathered all the ingredients and I began following the instructions of that recipe, and uh, and and I executed it to perfection, and it was really really good. Uh, in fact, I had made plenty, and so I got to eat on that for a couple of days uh, afterwards. But sometimes I gather a recipe, and I follow all of the instructions to a T, and it doesn't turn out good. 
And one thing that always happens, uh, I don't know what it is, I don't know what I'm doing, but I always have a tendency to smoke up the kitchen. Like I'm either burning something or something's too hot. I haven't figured it out yet. But it's something that I enjoy doing. And the reason why I talk about baking and following instructions and cooking is because oftentimes when it comes to parenting, we have this tendency to look at it as if it's some kind of formula. Right, That if we will plug our kids into some kind of formula, we'll get the desired results. And there are books and articles out there. You know, the three keys to successful parenting or recipes to raising successful kids or you name it. And it's almost this formulaic approach. The problem with that is that there are times when even when we follow those plans, we still don't arrive at the desired results. And so today, I want to take a different approach. I don't want to give you three keys to successful parenting. I don't want to give you the recipe to influence, influencing godly kids. What I want to do is I want to give us biblical framework guidelines that we will have the freedom to operate in because the truth is this. It doesn't matter how well you execute the plan. It never goes according to plan. The case in point is in the Garden of Eden. When God the Father created the heavens and the earth, we know that everything was perfect. God's original design, everything was perfect. Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage. They had the perfect heavenly father, right, who did not make mistakes and leave daddy wounds. There was perfection, the perfect environment. Yet what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve had a will, and that will led them to rebellion. So even in the perfect parenting environment, you're not guaranteed the perfect outcome. But here's what we do as parents. We, we work within the guidelines that God has given us in such a way that we trust the Lord with the rest of it. We trust the Lord with the rest of it. I know that I fail miserably as a dad. I, I, I failed my kids, I, I failed my wife miserably at times, and, and yet I lean upon God to fill in the gaps. And you know, Kathy and I, we've been blessed with four incredible kids. They have been and continue to be a tremendous blessing in our lives. But I can promise you this, uh, there have been many times of failure in our, in our family dynamic. But we trust God to do the rest. And we never have the expectation of our kids that they are perfect. They're far from it. But here's the deal. We, we desire to operate within a biblical framework so that we could see God show up and show off in the life of, of our kids. You will fail at creating the perfect environment because you are an imperfect parent. And single parents, you understand this. You have a tendency to look at this and say, well, you know, maybe my family is broken. Your family is not broken. In fact, a lot of scholars believe when Jesus was very young that Joseph, his earthly dad, died and went to glory, and, and so he was raised by a single mother. I think she did a pretty good job, don't you think, in raising her, her son. And so here's what we do. We, we follow these guardrails, and we ask God to do the rest. We depend upon him to fill in the gaps. And so we're all in the same boat when it comes to this idea of parenting. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4. And I want to read that entire section of Scripture and then begin to work on and follow Paul's outline here as he gives us great advice on raising godly kids. 
You follow along in your copy of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long and in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing that I want to point out here that Paul talks about is the roles. Now remember, Paul began in Ephesians chapter 4 talking about what it means to live according to the Spirit in our lives. That just like Brandon's testimony here this morning, he has been made a new creation. And for those of us that are in Christ, the Bible teaches that we are a new creation. We are no longer governed and led by the Spirit or by the flesh. We're instead led by the Spirit of God. Now, there are times that we revert back to being led by the flesh, but we are to be a new person, a new creation, Scripture teaches. And as a result of that new creation, as a result of being guided by the Holy Spirit, it plays out in the way in which we relate to one another. Our relationships are different and changed. And then Paul continues this idea of walking by the Spirit in chapter 5 by saying, let me tell you how this plays out in the family dynamic. And so the first part of chapter 6 is a continuation of Paul's discussion to say living by the Spirit means that the, the family operates differently. And within the context of the family, governed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, husbands take on the role of spiritual leader Wives then willingly submit to their husband's lead in the, in the family dynamic. And then we're introduced here to two other roles, children and parents. Now this section, beginning with chapter 5, verse 21, is a section that scholars call the home codes, the house codes. In other words, what are the guidelines, what are the codes by which the values by which a Christian family operates. By the way, uh, Christian ethics in the home are also taught in the book of Colossians and also in 1 Peter. And so we see here in the, in the family dynamic that children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now specifically in this one verse, two roles, children and parents. And so I want to talk about those two roles here today. The children's role is to obey the parents. Now, the word translated as obey means to listen to, to obey, and to answer. In other words, it is a response to a command given. Children are to respond favorably and positively to parents' commands. And they are to do so, this word indicates that they are to do so with the proper attitude and the right action. Now, that's important. Because how many times do we do the right action but with the wrong attitude? Uh, just ask your kids to do the dishes. They may get it done, but it's like this. <sighs> right? The wrong attitude. Listen, the right action with the wrong attitude is still disobedience. And so what Paul is encompassing here in this word is that, that children are to obey their parents in attitude and in action. That's the role here. And he says that obeying your parents and the Lord is right. Now, this does not mean that parents are always right. Because parents are imperfect people. 
And we bring our imperfection into our parenting. But while parents are not always right, hear me, it is always right for children to obey their parents. There would only be one exception to that statement. If the parents blatantly ask children to do that which is contrary to the scriptures. Now before teenagers get excited about that exception clause, I can tell you this, I have maybe come across it once in my over 20 years of ministry experience where parents were asking their kids to do something that was against the scriptures. It's a very rare thing. But ultimately, God has placed parents over children in authority over their kids. And so therefore, Paul says that you are to obey your parents. And by doing so, you glorify the Lord. Kids glorify the Lord. That's what a godly kid looks like, right? What's more is that in verse 2, Paul continues this thought of the child's role, and he actually quotes the fifth commandment. He says, to honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Honor means to value at a high price. Kids, godly kids, value their parents at a high price. Children and students should seek value, add weight to their parents. And here's the deal. All of us are still children. You have parents. Now, for some of us, maybe your parents have gone on to glory, but we are still children in that regard. I am blessed to have both of my parents still living, and it is my job even though I am now a father, a dad, it is still my job to honor my, my parents. And, and I add value to them. I consider weight to them until they go to glory. And so, so those, are the, those are the roles that we see here. Now notice what Paul adds to the quotation of the fifth commandment. He puts it in parentheses. He says that this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. You remember all the thou shalt nots in the Ten Commandments. But here in the Fifth Commandment is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And the promise is that you may, that all may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily talking about length of life. I think it's talking about quality of life. And it makes a whole lot of sense. In a society that respects parents, you stay out of trouble. And, and you experience a high quality of life. And so obeying and honoring our parents is beyond what is just right, Paul is saying. He's saying there's actually great benefit to parents uh, being honored and obeyed. Now there's another role mentioned here. That's the children's role. The other ro- role mentioned here, obviously, is the role of, of parents. And before I am a pastor, before I am a preacher, I'm a parent. And this is to be our first mission in life. The role of parent is is our responsibility to own. It is not the job of the school district. It is not the job of the church, although the church can be a partner in that. It is our job as parents to be parents. And notice that Paul doesn't say friends. It doesn't say children, obey your parents, which are your friends. Mom, dad, you are not your child's friend. You're their parent. And you need to take on the role of parent. 
God gave his children to steward and to raise and to prepare them for lives that, that honor him. Now, I will tell you this, as we are entering into this whole new stage, we now have a sophomore in college. Carson is 20 years old. That makes me feel really old. And, and one thing that we're beginning to see is this transition happen. Yes, we are still her parents, but she's becoming our friend. If you will do what is right in the formative years of a child's life, and you are their parent, and that's the role that you own, one day you will look forward to them being your friend also. But right now, as little children, you are their parents. So we have the roles in the family, husbands and wives, children and parents. And raising godly kids requires the understanding of each role. But secondly, what Paul gives us in terms of guardrails in raising godly kids is what not to do. you got to love Paul. He goes in and he says, let me tell you what not to do. Let's look at the first part of verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, that's what you shouldn't do. You should not provoke your children to anger. A couple things that I want to point out in this verse. First of all, who is it that Paul is talking to here? Because the word is translated as fathers. Is he talking to dads only? Well, this very same word elsewhere in the scriptures is translated as parents. So why would this particular translation be to fathers? Well, I think that there's a couple of of good reasons for that. First is context. As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, they're in a Greco-Roman culture. And in that culture in the first century, fathers had legal control over their kids. And it often resulted in harsh treatment, especially harsh treatment of girls. But also, Paul has just been talking about dads, husbands, You're to be the spiritual leader of your home. So it makes sense that he would continue to say, hey, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But here's the deal. While Paul is addressing fathers, this is still the generic term parents. So he may be urging dads to say, hey, I need you to step up and lead here. But he is definitely talking to all parents. And certainly it applies to single parents. So we read fathers, we need to think parents. And that means all moms and dads are to pay attention here. And we are to not provoke our children to anger. When Paul says do not provoke, what he's saying is don't ever provoke. At no point should we provoke our children to anger. Now what does Paul mean by that? Because see, here's the deal. If you're doing parenting right, your kids will get angry at you. (laughs) Because they're little sinners. And little sinners do sinful things. And little sinners don't like it when they're corrected, right? And so they will get angry. So what is Paul saying here? Do not provoke them to anger. The anger that he's talking about is a deep-seated resentment. And that comes whenever you continually provoke and nag and push them to a justified anger. Other translations use the word exasperate. We're not to nag, provoke, pressure, or push our children to a justified anger. This this is the result of a repeated, ongoing provoking that boils over into outward hostility. Paul says, avoid it at all costs. 
You know, there are several ways that parents provoke children to anger. I want to mention these because they're things that we often find ourselves doing. And it's things that we need to avoid. I came across a list of seven actions to avoid as a parent. First is hypocrisy. Now, this is a challenge because every one of us is a hypocrite to some degree, right? So if you're here today and you're a guest of our church and you're saying, well, I don't want to go to a church that has hypocrites, well, we're all hypocrites. Welcome to the club, right? But what I mean by hypocrisy and parenting is when you say this word, do as I say, not as I do. What that is communicating is I as a parent am unwilling to do that which I am asking you to do. That is automatically going to create confusion and anger. We as parents need to set the example. Because see, here's the deal. Godly lives are more caught than they're taught. You can teach them all the right things, and if you're not doing them, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Hypocrisy will lead, will provoke your children to anger. Secondly is discouragement. Never complimenting your kids will push them to a justifiable anger. They'll begin to think that they're, they're no good. We should be generous with praise. You might say, you don't know my kids, Pastor Chris. Oh, you can catch them doing something good, right? Way to tie your shoe, right? Give some sort of encouragement. Catch them doing good. Because here's the deal. What gets rewarded gets repeated. That's important to know and understand. What gets rewarded in the, in the home often gets repeated. Thirdly, favoritism. Showing favoritism to one of your children is sure to lead the others to anger. And also it creates all kinds of dysfunction. There are countless numbers of biblical examples of this favoritism. Remember, remember Joseph? He, he got the coat of many covers. He was obviously his dad's favorite. And do you remember what that created in that family dynamic? Dysfunction. The brothers got together because they were so angered by their dad's favoritism towards Joseph that they sold him into slavery and concocted a story that he had died. Now, you can argue that was all part of God's plan because Joseph had to get to Egypt to then save the people, Right? But the point was is that their brothers were provoked to anger all because of favoritism. The fourth way that we often provoke our children to anger is by helicoptering. We could suffocate our children by so hovering over them and restricting them that they will push to the point of anger. This position communicates an inability to ever trust your children that continually calls into question everything they do. And you know, I'm convinced that helicopter parents, they have convinced themselves that somehow they're developing a close relationship with their kids, but all you're doing is you're suffocating them and you're pushing them away from you. You're smothering them. The fifth way we provoke children to anger is by being overbearing. This usually shows up in in parents that so push their kids towards achievement that the kids can never feel like they could win, feel like they just can't measure up. You'll push them away by doing so. The sixth way we provoke them to anger is selfishness. 
when we make the family dynamic all about me, it leads to aggravation. We communicate that our kids' world revolves around us, and our kids are actually an inconvenience to us. And that kind of attitude uh, communicates that kids are not welcomed. But you remember Jesus? Even at the busiest of his schedule, when Peter was trying to keep people away from him, Jesus said, no time out. Suffer not the little children to come unto me. He made time for his kids. Now let me just say a little caveat here. I do not think that your family should revolve around your kids either. Kids should not run the family. So let me give you a list of priorities that I believe the Scripture teaches. The first priority in the family is the marriage relationship. Number one, because kids will leave. And they'll go on about their lives and you will be left with one another. Your first priority is your marriage. Your second priority is your kids. And then your third priority is you. But ultimate selfishness will push your kids to anger. Lastly, abuse. You know, this goes without saying, but physical, verbal, sexual, mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse will rightfully drive a kid to anger. And we should avoid them at all, at all times. So Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not give them a justifiable reason to be angry that boils over in resentment towards parents. So Paul then shifts in verse 4, and he tells us what to do. What are the guidelines that we are to do? Look again at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Three things that will serve as guidelines for us to raise godly kids. First, be intentional. As parents, we must be intentional in our rearing. The phrase, bring them up, demonstrates this truth. You are to go about intentionally bringing them up. In other words, it doesn't just happen on its own. Here's a truth that is good in all different kinds of scenarios. Sin only moves in one direction. Our natural tendency is not to wander toward God, it's to wander from God. Why? That's because we have a sin nature. And our fleshly sin nature is to wander from God. And so if we take a passive role in parenting and just say, well, we're just going to go at it and hopefully it'll cross your fingers, right? Maybe it turns out good. It'll never turn out good if that's your approach. We're not to take a passive role. We're to take a, an active role to parenting. Passive parenting leads to the family being tossed to and fro in such a way that the family winds up becoming seasick. Don't be passive. Take an active role in parenting. We are to bring our kids up. Secondly, we are to provide discipline. Paul says, bring the kids up and the discipline of the Lord. I want to just say something here. Those of you that are parents, I think in an effort to avoid provoking kids to anger, we've gone to the far other extreme. And we, we've avoided discipline. But can I tell you something? The avoidance of discipline in our kids' lives is equally as wrong as provoking them to anger. 
Listen, discipline is a biblical thing. Did you know the Bible actually teaches two forms of discipline? There's corrective discipline, and then there's preventative discipline. Let's talk about those for just a moment. First, corrective discipline. The word translated discipline in verse 4 actually means to train. You're to, to train. And one way you train a child in the ways of God is by correcting wrongdoings. Parents, the most loving thing you could ever do for your children is to correct them. Let me tell you how my parents corrected me. They corrected me with the belt of truth. Can I get an amen? Anybody else relate to that? The belt of truth. And listen, listen, here's the deal. I want you to know, I didn't grow up to hate my parents. Did I like it in the moment? No. But do I believe it shaped me in my life? Yes. I want to read to you a, a, a verse that highlights this. Proverbs 23, verses 13 through 14. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Parents, they're not going to die. But if you strike him with a rod, by the way, the rod is better translated branch or offshoot, you will save his soul from Sheol. Do you hear that? Discipline's not going to kill your kids. In fact, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to help them. It's going to serve as a benefit to them. Now, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about disciplining your kids. Let me tell you what the key is. The key is the motive within your heart. Because if I'm honest, I have disciplined my kids out of anger and out of a desire to not be embarrassed. Those are wrong motivations. Okay? We, we should not discipline out of anger. Are you going to be upset? Yes. But also, discipline them so that we're not embarrassed makes it all about us. That's not the role of discipline. So what is the correct way? The correct way to discipline is to focus on what discipline really does. It trains them in godliness. So when you go to discipline children, you need to do so with the mindset, not of anger or embarrassment, but out of training and godliness. And that changes everything. It's the motivation of the heart. And kids will respond much better to corrective discipline when they know and understand that you are training them in godliness. That's corrective discipline. The second kind of discipline is preventative discipline. Guardrails serve to keep us on track. I remember when Kathy and I had the privilege over our honeymoon to go to uh, Maui, and we went to the road to Hana. Anybody been on the road to Hana by any chance? Okay, it's it's a bucket list item. Okay, you need to put it on your bucket list. There are certain turns that are so sharp, and there's only room for one vehicle, that if there were not guardrails you would be in a heap of trouble. And so discipline, preventative discipline, is like guardrails that keep you from running your life over the edge of a cliff. Developing godly habits builds character, and it also prevents pitfalls. So the question then becomes, what types of preventative discipline are you utilizing with your kids? Godly kids, hear me out. Godly kids are kids that learn what it means to be responsible in life. 
I, I think we have a whole generation that's always somebody else's fault. There's no sense of ownership of their own wrongdoings. Listen, responsibility is a huge thing. Kids, godly kids, are kids that contribute to the family and they contribute to society. So doing chores, attending church, learning to overcome obstacles, extremely important in a child's life. Listen, those things build character. And I think that we as parents, we have this tendency to think somehow we've bought into a lie that our job is to make our kids' life as easy as possible. Let me tell you something. If that's how we parent, our kids are in for a rude awakening when they enter into this world on their own. We are to help them overcome obstacles by teaching them what it means to have endurance and and the fortitude to stare down obstacles in their life and to be successful. That's the way we love them. Don't provoke them by being overbearing, but let them face challenges. The often, more often we learn from failure than we do success. Listen, it's okay if your kids fail. It's okay. I remember I failed an English class one six weeks. I didn't get to participate in basketball, but you know what never happened again in my life? I never failed in an academic course. Failure can be good. We need to teach our kids how to handle failure. So it will be intentional and to provide discipline. The third thing, so be intentional, provide discipline. Thirdly, give instruction. Give instruction. Instruct your kids. In Judaism, parents were the child's first teachers. The first three years of a Hebrew boy or girl's life, the mother oversaw the education process until the child was weaned. Then the father would supervise the teaching of the law, God's word, to the boys. And then the dads would teach their son a trade. Parents were the first teachers of a child. I think we need to reclaim that in our culture. We need to be primary teachers of our kids. I think our tendency is to outsource the education of our kids to the church or to the school district. And and while our schools do a great job, and by the way, in Mount Pleasant, we are blessed and we benefit from many godly teachers and godly school administrators. But listen, it is not their job to train up your child. It is your job. We must take an active role in this. The church, it's not the church's job. We don't just outsource it to the church. The church can be a partner, but, but we can't leave it up to the church. We all have roles to play in the Christian family. Husbands love and they lead. Wives, they follow the leadership of their husband. Kids obey and honor their parents. Parents don't provoke kids, but instead they they are intentional. They discipline and they provide instruction. This is a biblical family. And yes, we can have biblical families even in our modern world. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. 
It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.